0: Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Injection, fellas. Ten, nine,
1: eight, seven.
0: This is more than therapy, podcast. More than therapy. This is more than therapy. More than therapy, podcast. This is more than therapy. Therapy Podcast. This is Modern Therapy Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Morden Therapy Podcast. Today we speak with Karen Freeland, the author of The Ins and Outs of My Vagina. And today we're going to talk about self-love and acceptance and in a new chapter in life and how different it may look from the past and how we use the past to guide us in this new way of looking at our life and in accepting our life. I think the overall concept would be gratitude. Karen Freeland is a recovering corporate workaholic. After years in high-pressure leadership roles at Fortune 500 companies, she traded the boardroom for the bedroom. In her hilarious tell-all book, The Ins and Outs of My Vagina, a penetrating memoir coming out in September. It already came out. It came out in September 2021. She recounts the mishaps and misadventures she had over the past 40 years with a special partner of crime, her vagina named V. Women of all ages can relate to the raw and honest journey of first long-term relationships and finding pleasure. Today we have Mrs. Karen Freeland author of the ins and outs of my vagina. Good morning. Hello. David.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Thank you for presenting on the More Than Therapy podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Karen, this book was a, a lifetime in creation, a, a lifetime up to this point, because of course you have so much more life to live. How did you come to the point in which you had a midlife crisis and how did you turn that around? What led to the midlife crisis? I asked you this because in mental health, in the, you know, in the helping field, many people do not do what they need to do to take care of themselves and get to a point in their lives in which they either give it up or they do unimaginable damage to their psyche or to their health. What occurred in your world to lead to a midlife crisis?
1: Yeah, great question. And you know, the short answer is I stopped listening to myself. I stopped trusting what I really wanted in life. So I started out life actually as an actress. After I got done with college, I decided to move to Miami and New York City and I was going to try my hat at acting, maybe become a soap star. That was always my dream. But by 24 I had was waiting tables and it was like this vicious cycle you know you you want to go on an audition but you're waiting tables so you miss the audition so you can't get booked on anything or you can go to the audition but you're waiting tables and can't get out of your shift on the day of the shoot so you can't book any jobs so I said Waiting tables is screwing up my life. I'm going to go get a job in corporate for one year. I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to save it all, and then I'll quit, and I will just focus on acting. Well, of course, by month two or three, I got my first commission check, had four numbers on it. I'd never seen a check with over $1,000. I mean, that to me was like money. I'd made it. I was rich. And I just remember thinking like, oh, maybe I should just do this. Maybe I should just make this money. So I got, as I say, addicted to the money drug. And then it was just this like maniacal chasing of titles and paychecks for the next 15 years. Um, You know, I I knew deep down that corporate was never really for me. It was kind of like a square peg in a round hole. But I had this drive and this type A personality and this ambition that just overrode all of those thoughts and feelings. And it was like, no, you can be CMO. Someone said you'd be a great CMO. Well, I would take their dream and basically attach it to my own life and be like, yeah, yeah, okay. I should be a CMO then if you think that of me. And so then suddenly that was my mission in life was to become the chief marketing officer at a big company and manage the whole brand. And I knew all the right things to say to all the right people to constantly inch forward but there was also this carrot that always seemed to be out there that just kept getting moved and i felt like i could never really um eclipse and get to that next level i just kind of felt like i was always being shuffled along you know everybody trusted me they always gave me more work they gave me more people to manage but i could never really break that ceiling and get above the director level so i want to say it was like 2018, 2019, where things really became to a fever pitch. Um, I was working at an energy company, and my work, although I was successful and I was doing a a good job, it was never enough. So it was this constant uh, barrage of, you know, make another PowerPoint to justify my existence to this person. Explain why I put this social post out. Explain why my team wants to go to this event. And it was just like. I can't spend every waking moment trying to justify everything I'm doing to people who don't understand marketing. And it was just incredibly frustrating. We had two deaths in the family within a span of four months. And while, you know, obviously that's always hard, you know, death is, um, depending on how you think about it, for me at the time, it was very tragic feeling. Um, it was the last of a generation. So suddenly I felt faced with my mortality oh my gosh, after them, it's my parents. And after my parents, it's me. Like this is, oh my gosh, my time here is finite. And it really sent me off on a panic. And of course, to deal with it, I did what I always did, turned to alcohol and I drank. I was doing maybe three, sometimes four glasses of wine a night, seven days a week. And it became my crutch. You know, if I had a bad day at work, if I was frustrated, if something was going wrong in my marriage, you know, rather than sit down and deal with anything, I could pull out my laptop and drink. So I'd work and drink all hours of the night, 24-7. And I really lost all sense of who I was. You know, yeah, I was a mom. Yeah, I was a wife. Yeah, I was a marketer. But it, my work just consumed every second of my day. Like I couldn't go to the park with my kids and not have both my phones, my personal phone and my work phone and be like, oh, who's emailing me now? Oh, I should just respond to this one quick message. And, you know, my kids really, they just, they really saw like the top of my head, I think for for most of their early years. And once these these deaths started happening and I I started drinking and I was, you know, just kind of spiraling even further down. There was a moment um, where I started having these panic attacks, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would have to go to the bathroom, of course, because I had four glasses of wine, so who doesn't have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? And I would be in the bathroom, and it would be really dark because I didn't want to turn the lights on, but we had like that little light on the toilets that glows, so you can kind of see in, in like a blue light where you're going. And it would dawn on me that I had just been sleeping and there was basically black nothingness. And is this what it's like to be dead? Is this what I will experience when my time is here is up? And it would be like a wave of panic that would just whoosh, rush over me. And I would feel this light airiness, almost as if I was. Not existing, or I was floating outside of my body. And at the second it would start to happen, I would shut it down because I would freak me out so bad. And then the waterworks would start, and I would just be bawling in the bathroom at you know three o'clock in the morning while my husband was sitting there. Oh, I know you. Um, you want to ask a question, Philippe? Yeah.
0: no, not a question. I'm sorry. Okay. I wanted to um, just bring up the point like how you was a worker, a grinder. You was giving 150 percent to the companies and you had to be a mom. You had to be a wife. You had to be a worker and worker was taking precedence in many avenues. You you slipped into a you know, alcohol addiction as a crutch, which many women often do. Women put so much on their plate, they have to be all to everyone and oftentimes are nothing to themselves.
1: Ah, such a good way to think about it. It is. I mean, my hobbies. I was a dance major in college. You know, I had had all these passions and I'd enjoyed all these things. And suddenly it was like all of that went by the wayside. Relationships with friends. I mean, I was a social butterfly. And now here I was living in, you know, at one point New York City and then just outside in Jersey, very densely populated. And I always felt this overwhelming sense of being alone. Like I didn't have anyone that I could talk to. I didn't have a real strong community. And don't get me wrong, I had friends and we caught up from time to time, but it just wasn't that deep emotional connection that I was lacking and missing that I wanted. So you know, I'm having these panic attacks. Now this starts happening regularly. So every night I'm waking up, going to the bathroom, and I'm having these full-on panic attacks. And eventually, like after a year, I got the courage to talk to my husband about it. And he ended up buying me a book, um, Overcoming Your Fear of Death by Kelvin Chin, incredibly helpful for me. Um, that was definitely a turning point. And I made the decision while reading that book. I'm not doing this anymore. I am not going to allow myself to continue to spiral. There's a bigger purpose for me. I don't know what it is yet, but I need to figure that out. And I need to stop allowing myself to go in the bathroom every night and have these panic attacks because it's, it's, all-encompassing, it is consuming me, and it's not productive. It's a waste of my energy because I can't do anything about death. It's going to happen. So I need to figure out a different way, way to deal with this. And I didn't know at the time, but this is actually a technique called rewiring your brain. So when I would go into the bathroom and I would start to feel that initial, you know, mind would start to wander and I'd be like, nope, we're not doing this tonight. I'm like, I should paint my nails. I should take out the garbage. Like I would literally think anything, maybe a different color paint on this wall would look good, you know, even if I wasn't ever going to change the paint or my nails might have been perfectly painted, but I just needed something to take the place of those negative thoughts. And what happened over time is because I started to rewire my brain, when I would go into the bathroom, I would no longer have those thoughts. And I stopped the drinking. Not completely. I'm not alcohol-free, but I am definitely like a weekend drinker, like no more during the week. So then I wasn't waking up and going to the bathroom anymore. So I didn't have to have that experience or even need to worry about rewiring my brain. And as I started to make some of these changes, a coworker was, you know, we were commiserating one day because I was in another mood. And they said, well, what's the one thing you would regret not doing if you died tomorrow? And I couldn't answer that. And that was really strange for me because I could tell you a laundry list of things that were wrong in my life, but I could not tell you what I actually wanted it to look like. Like, what would the good things be if I could replace all the bad? And that set me off on a journey of really reflecting, turning inward, getting honest with myself about what do I actually want out of this life? So, I was watching The Secret. I don't know if any of your listeners have seen The Secret. I highly recommend it. Um, It's all about the law of attraction. And so, like attracts like. If you think positive thoughts, positive things will happen to you. If you think negative thoughts, negative things will happen to you. And I was starting to see some of this in my everyday life anyway, because of the rewiring the brain. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I go to the bathroom, I think positive things, and then I don't have these panic attacks. That makes sense to me. So, I started thinking maybe, maybe I could actually think up what I want my new future to be like. And I'm watching The Secret and Jack Canfield, who is the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, was in there. And he's talking about how he got his books written and how it all came down to action. It, you can manifest all day long. You can think it all day long. But if you're not taking the right steps, how's it ever going to happen? And I, out of nowhere, it was like a bolt of lightning. Like I felt a physical shift in my head. And this idea to finish my memoir that I had started in 2009, this is now 10 years later, um, just like it came to the forefront and it was like a light bulb that just went off. And I was like, that's it. I need to finish writing my memoir. At the time it was called, I Don't Know My Vagina. um, And then it, it morphed later into the ins and outs of my vagina, a penetrating memoir. But essentially it was the story of, my life told in a comedic way that looked at all the various steps and journeys and milestones we have as women and the experiences that we have with our vagina. Totally different from anything that I'd ever done before, but it was exactly the right creative outlet that I needed at that stage of the game. Like it was literally, I say this book saved my life. And it's not an exaggeration. I don't know what I would be doing if I did not have this book to write to help me see that I really could create my own future.
0: Indeed, indeed. In writing the book, how did you prioritize your time? Because you were so busy. You were a mom, you were a wife, you were a worker bee that went above and beyond in many aspects of your life. What made you and how did you Sit down and say, I have to prioritize me because I find many people, especially in the helping field, they do everything for these agencies they work for or whatever, or for their own entrepreneurship in regards to, you know, making the money they need to make, seeing the clients they need to see, and they don't prioritize their dreams and manifestations.
1: So true. But it's amazing to me because suddenly I found the time. Huh. Like, so I love when people say, "Oh, well, I don't have the time for that or I'm too busy." I'm like, "BS. I was running, a, you know, a marketing team, a global marketing team. I was um, you know, had two boys who were in sports, hockey, baseball. I was all over the place, wrestling. Actually, a good portion of this book, at least the first half probably was written in a hot, sweaty wrestling gym <laughs> with a bunch of like um, you know, elementary kids. And I literally would just put my back up against the wall while my son was doing his wrestling practice for an hour and a half. And I would just crank it out and write chapters. I would sit in the car when the kids were at hockey and I would write because it was COVID then. So we weren't allowed to go in. So I would write, write, write chapters. So I found the time because it was a priority for me. And I think that that's the realization that people need to come to is what is a priority for you? Are you just status quo, letting everybody else dictate your time? Or are you owning and using your power to dictate your time? And that was something I hadn't done before. I spent my whole, you know a good portion of my life once I hit corporate in the passenger seat of life, and suddenly it was like, oh no, I can be in the driver's seat. I can block off an hour for lunch, eat something, and you know proofread a chapter that I just got back from my editor. I can start in 30 minutes later today, or I can leave 30 minutes earlier to get to my kid's baseball game and prioritize that. And then I can get back online later if I need to. But I had always had this fear of getting fired. And it's so stupid because no one's ever threatened to fire me before for, you know, leaving the office early or anything of that nature. But I think it was just maybe an immaturity on my part, thinking, you know, as a young young woman in corporate well if i don't do what all the men are doing they're going to fire me and they're actually not and i've i've found the opposite to be true the more you own your time and the more you set boundaries and put parameters up the more people respect you and they actually follow the boundaries that you put up the big difference is in asking for, for permission you know i had spent my whole life asking for permission and i was like you know what i'm going to ask for forgiveness now so And if they fire me, I don't even care because I don't even like this job. I'm going to go be an author now. Like I'm going to write this book and I'm going to totally change my life. So, you know, work took on a different meaning. It was no longer priority number one. Now it was a way to fund my dreams while I make an exit plan to get out. And I was so blessed because, you know, trust me, I know COVID was terrible, right? It was awful. It was horrible. Many people perished and it's terrible. And there was a silver lining for me. So my job was eliminated. And, uh, you know, I firmly believe the universe, God, whatever your higher, higher power is, was like, we're done here. You need to fly. I need to push you out of the nest because if I don't push you out of the nest... You're going to stay here and keep justifying in your mind that you can do two things at once, that you can write a book and publish and, you know, launch a book while you're in corporate. And the reality was it would have been impossible anyway, especially with a title like this. But the universe gifted me that being laid off. And it was beautiful because I got the severance package and I was able to, you know, have that runway to really just focus on my book and nothing else for a bit.
0: Indeed, that's absolutely amazing. I wish more. I tell people all the time people that have these lives that they live that to me it seems so interesting or it can be a life changer for someone else if they had access to that information mm. to write all the time. I always promote writing. Oh, but I can't write that good. Or, oh, what if nobody buys it? Even I tell people, you know, sometimes the writing is not even for someone else, sometimes it's just for yourself.
1: Well, it's funny because when I wrote the book originally, I was like, I'm just going to write a book. I didn't really think I was going to publish it. And when, you know, people ask me too all the time, well, how do you write a book? How do you get started? I'm like, you literally put words on a piece of paper? Like, it's not, people want to make it so difficult. It's not. My first draft sucked. I mean, with a capital S. It was bad. It had no character development. It was very much like, I went here and then I did this and then I did that. But over time, developing it, working with a professional editor, it was like it went from not great, pretty bad, to amazing, hilarious. Like it's an award winning book. It's won um, several awards from the Book Fest and it also won a reader's favorite five star award. So, I mean, it's a huge testament to what you're actually capable of. And I think we look so many times at our current skill set and we go, but I'm not a writer. I wasn't a writer. I mean, I wrote some emails for marketing. I loved my English classes growing up. I always had fun writing the essays and things like that. But I mean, I journaled. That was like the extent of my writing. And suddenly as I explored this desire, I realized, wow, like I'm not bad at this. I might even be really good at this. Okay. Like this is exciting. And it was just something that fueled me So if if there's something in your heart, something that you know the listeners are thinking of that they want to try, I just highly encourage you to go for it. And like I said, it might be bad at first. You're not going to get it right probably on the first try, but you're going to grow into that and you're going to be happy that at least you explored it and you're not going to have any regrets.
0: Indeed, indeed. How did your relationship with V change over time? Because I know she's was an intricate part of your life and to this day, I hope she still is.
1: Yes. Oh, good old V. So it's been it's been up and down. It's been tumultuous at times. It's been great at times. It's been frustrating. It's been annoying. Um. It really, V and I have taken such a journey together. So, you know the the way the book is written is it breaks it down into eight parts, and it starts from when I'm five years old and I'm first experiencing V. Like I'm like, what is this thing between my legs? What what is going on down here? What is this? To all, you know, 40 years old, and I'm chasing the orgasm. Uh, because well, I didn't know if you know you talk about sexual health a lot on these calls, but um, only about 20% of women, and that's probably even being generous, uh, actually orgasm from penetration alone. And this was something that I didn't know. So I spent so much of my life feeling broken. Like my body was the weird one. I was the only one who, you know, couldn't have, wasn't having sex and having orgasms five times a day. And I felt like really isolated and like something was wrong with me, but that really wasn't the case. You know, even when it came to medical issues, urinary tract infections, all of these things, I was too embarrassed to speak up. But meanwhile, all my friends were going through very similar situations. Because we're taught from such a young age that, you know, your vagina's private, it's dirty, it's gross. (laughs) Don't talk about that. Like, don't say that word. And so what happens is as women, we kind of learn to shrink in and we do close off our relationship with our vagina. You know, we don't talk to it. We don't um, ask it what it wants, what it enjoys, what it doesn't enjoy. You know, we don't have those. those inner dialogues with our body like we should be because we've been told basically not to. Um, And it impacts us, I think, even as we're older and we're in the workforce, you know, like, you know, women will settle for second best in their relationships and their work in their, um, you know, they won't speak up because subconsciously we're always taught to kind of shrink in and just sit there and be polite with our legs closed. So, you know, V and I, we probably got on like a first name basis around the age of 14. Um, and she was a wild child. I, my hormones were raging. And I i don't know where it came from. You know, I was brought up in a religious background um, in the church and don't, you know, you don't have sex before you're married. And there's like a really hilarious story of me losing my virginity. Um, so definitely go get the book and read that. But You know, it was such a non-thought. I was just at a party hanging out with a guy who was really cute. He thought I was cute. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Like, there was no, like, bearskin rug. There was no roses. There was no champagne. But it didn't even feel like it was a big deal. Uh, But V was raring to go, right? Like, she was just had a mind of her own. And so I always joke that this book is, like, about a vagina that basically sabotages your life because – For so many of like the college years, like she was just off doing her own thing. And it was like, I really didn't have a say in what was going on. I think as we've gotten older, we've gotten more in sync and we're kind of on the same page now about things, which has been good. But I'm telling you, she's given me plenty of fuel for a sequel because I'm now entering the perimenopause years. And so my body's starting to change. My hormones are starting to change. And I'm like V. Like, are we gonna get this together tonight? Like, can we make this happen? Are you gonna work? Are you gonna function for me? Or are you just like taking a breather? Are you sweeping this one out? Um, so it's still, I think, a struggle, and I think it's still a learning journey that we're gonna be on for all of our lives, as long as we're as long as we're here on this earthly planet.
0: Indeed, indeed. When your corporate job ended and you wrote your book. You didn't transition to a new phase in your life. Tell us about your work as a a coach, a life coach, a career coach.
1: Absolutely. So when I started um, writing the book, I found this new fuel, this like energy within me. And it was like bursting at the seams. And I'm like, I want everyone to feel this. I don't ever want, and at the time, my thought really was, I don't ever want another person to go through a midlife crisis like I did. I have since changed my tune a little bit because I actually think going through it is what made me stronger. You almost have to hit rock bottom. You almost have to experience that to really uh, fuel yourself to change. But I just was so passionate about sharing these secrets and everything that I knew that I could help other people so that they could get out of their funk and they could live their dream life. For so long, it felt like it was for everybody else. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever had that experience, but You know, it's like, do what you love. People would always say, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I'm like, that's great. Well, I'm not Serena Williams. I'm not the best tennis player in the world. Like, what do I get to do? Nobody's hiring a 40-year-old dancer. Like, what is the thing that I could do that wouldn't be work? And I could never see the path to that. I couldn't fathom what that would be. And so I was very much stuck in that mindset. I'm a B2B marketer. I'm just going to stay here. I made my bed. But as I started writing the book and realizing, oh my gosh, no, this is actually for everyone. This isn't just for me. And it's not just for me. I'm not special. I'm not, I don't have some superpower that someone else can't tap into to create this dream life. It's literally for everyone. And so I thought, you know what? I'll speak. I'll just become a motivational speaker. I'll go out on the circuit and I'll fire everybody up. But that didn't seem strong enough because I was like, great. Then I'm just going to leave them hanging. I'm just going to go out there, share this information and be like, good luck. (laughs) Hope you figure it out on your own. Like, it just didn't feel like enough. So I said, no, I'm going to go get certified as a coach. Uh, I had talked to a woman who was a health coach. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. But I want to do, I think, more the life coaching. Um, I kind of started to learn about that profession. I thought, oh, that sounds really, really interesting. I think I would be great at that. And so I got certified. I found a program that was a reasonable amount of money, you know, because I was like, I'm just got laid off. I can't afford, you know, some $5,000 program. And it was just right. It was the enough tools and um, information to get me really started to take everything that I had learned and put it into a structured program. And I call that Edit Your Life because just like with my editor, he would help me edit my book. You know, he never said, oh, that chapter is garbage. Throw it out. He's like, you know what? Why don't we save this line for the end? That'll be a better punchline. Or why don't we just, you know, develop this character a little bit more or, you know, take this whole section out. We don't need to see that part. He would just make these little tweaks and it would have such a massive impact on the story. I was like, that's exactly what life coaching is. You know, I'm going to help them make what seems like little small tweaks and changes in their life, but has massive impact. And EDIT is actually an acronym. So it stands for Envision, Document, Invest, and Take Action. And really just, um, it's comprehensive enough, but it's also flexible and loose enough that I can meet clients where they are. So E is for envisioning the goal. And so it's really dreaming big turning inward, getting honest with yourself about what do you actually want to accomplish? What is your true purpose in life? And we all have one, even if you don't know what it is today. So we spend some time really digging that up and figuring out, okay, well, now that we know what your purpose is, what are those main life goals that we want to make sure you're accomplishing and that you're spending your time and your energy on? And then we document it. Because it's really awesome to have all those ideas and dreams up in your head. That's where they need to start. But we have to actually get them onto paper and make them digestible. If I had sat down on day one and said, "Okay, I'm going to leave corporate. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to become a life coach. That would have been so overwhelming. And I didn't even know that that's what I wanted to do yet. So we're going to take one goal, one dream, and we're going to put it down on paper. And we're going to make it really tangible so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. And we're really going to look at your time, your energy, your money, and figure out what do we need to invest differently and what do we need to divest in. You know, maybe being on the PTO isn't actually helping you achieve one of your goals. Uh, So we want to look at those things and be like, oh, well, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, And then take action is really that accountability piece that everybody needs. So I am right there holding your hand each step of the way, making sure that you can't fail and that, well, I shouldn't say you can't fail, right? But you will follow through on everything that you've committed to doing. Failure is just part of life. We all have little failures here and there. And it's a matter of how you learn from them and how you recover from them. And it's really been just amazing to watch these, the transition that my clients go through in their life when they put everything into practice. It's just beautiful.
0: Indeed, indeed. A lot of people have fear, false evidence appearing as real as it pertains to being a director of their own lives, to follow through with their dreams, to, you know, want to be, let's say they want to be an entrepreneur or they have the skill set to be a great boss on their own as it pertains to their dreams. What advice would you give them in regards to going forward and doing what they would want to do instead of aligning themselves with what they feel they have to do? Uh,
1: Such a good question. It's funny because I just had a client this week um, who was going through something very similar. So she just got a new job offer. She wants to go over to this company, but she's really worried about the culture. And she felt like, I don't know, I'm scared. What if I go there and I hate it? And, And so she was kind of backtracking and thinking of saying, oh, well, this old job really wasn't that bad. Maybe I'll just stay. And so I was like, look, let's investigate this, right? Where is this fear coming from? So there's a piece of this journaling, right? Really getting honest with yourself, turning inward to say, why am I scared? Why am I so concerned about the culture at this company? And I was like, how can we mitigate that fear? Do you know someone at the organization that you can pick up the phone and call and ask about the culture? And actually she did. So it was perfect. She was able to call this person, completely put her mind at ease. She realized where her her real true fear was coming from and was then able to address that issue. The fear is no longer has power or is real because she was able to put it to bed by talking to somebody at that organization. It's really that simple. It's just facing it head on. Because somewhere along the lines, we all got this memo that like fearless means you don't have fear. That's actually totally inaccurate. We all have fear. Every single person. And if they tell you they're not scared of anything, they're lying, 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 lying. We all have fear. We all have discomfort. The difference is not letting it stop you, not letting it prevent you from going forward. When I went to write the book, I was really scared about how people were going to perceive me. What are they going to think of me? Are they going to think less of me? Are they going to think I'm, um, you know, a hedonistic, horrible human being? Like, are they going to think that their kids, they're not going to let their kids play with my kids because I wrote this book? Are they going to think I'm a slut because they read about some of my sexual exploits? You know, there was a lot of fear. And I actually sat on the book for a good solid three months before I took it from final editing and actually starting to produce the book and create the cover and all of that. Because I was so scared to put it out there. And you know what? Yeah, there are some people who probably think all those things about me. There's some people who don't really care for the book. It's not their taste. And that's totally fine. Not everyone's going to love what you do. But for the over thousand people who have bought this book, who have read it, who have loved it, who have rated it five stars, who have said they couldn't put it down and read it in one weekend, You know, to the Book Fest who gave it three awards and to getting a reader's favorite, you know, what more could I ask for? I wrote a book and people have, that have read it have loved it. I mean, that's really, and I wouldn't know if I'd let my fear get in the way. So I think that's the biggest thing is just face it head on. Okay.
0: Indeed. Indeed. You know, as a, as a coach, you know what I'm saying? You gave, you have a wonderful resource on your website. Can you tell the, the listeners and watchers about the um free ebook that you give? that gives six secrets to get unstuck, which I think a lot of people shoot myself included could benefit from.
1: Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Six secrets to get unstuck is the exact formula that I used to go from stuck, frustrated, feeling like I don't know what I want out of life to getting to where I am today. And this is something new that I've kind of been sharing with people is it's never one and done because the journey is not over. It's not like, oh, now I'm a life coach. I'm done. I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm going to write a second book. I don't know where that's going to take me. You know, maybe I'll get certified in another kind of coaching. Maybe I'll become an executive coach and help organizational leaders. I mean, there's so many other things that I still want to do in life. So I constantly go back to the six secrets and turn inward again and ask myself, you know, what am I afraid of? And, you know, how can I create more joy in my life right now? So It's never like you're just gonna read the e-guide, you're gonna apply all the steps and and then throw it out. You're gonna keep coming back to it because it is the guide for living a happy, fulfilled life. So much of us, uh, so many of us, just don't bother to take the time. And I think that's one of the other blessings that came out of COVID. Suddenly so many people had all this free time And they had a a break from the grind and the daily rat race. And they were able to really reflect on, okay, what do I want? What excuses am I using? What type of self-sabotage is coming up? You know, for another great example of self-sabotage, when I was in corporate, before I knew I wanted to write the book, I thought, well, I, I can't do something irresponsible, like just walk in and quit. So if I create a financial trap for myself, I won't be able to do that. I literally bought a Benz to trap myself in my job in corporate. If that's not self-sabotage, I don't know what is. So these are some of the things that my guide is going to help you uncover. What am I doing that's not really serving me so that you can stop doing that and actually reach the success and the goals that you want in life? So. Definitely go download that, check it out because it's going to give you the blueprint that you need to get unstuck.
0: Hmm. That thing you said about the financial trap, that was that was big. <laughs>
1: like who does that? <laughs> who does that? Apparently me.
0: You can get your book at um on Amazon, The Ins and Outs of My Vagina, a penetrating memoir by Karen Freeland. Um, you've been you you just you just are the gift that keeps on giving. You know you let the people read seven chapters of your book off the yes. top just as a preview. You know what I'm saying discovering my lady parts. Twat was that? <laughs> Bushwhacked. Aunt Flo pays her first visit. Panty hot potato. Tongue tango, and finger in the pie. So they get a get a good representation of where you, how your writing style is, the comedy that you bring to this memoir and the revelations that you bring in discovering yourself, learning yourself and loving yourself.
1: Yeah. And learning to speak up, you know, we didn't have a chance to get into it too much, but you know, there, it's not all comedy. I do share about my miscarriage for the first time ever, the uh, ectopic pregnancy that I had, that I experienced. And and also learning to speak up and trust that intuition, because with my second pregnancy, well, second full-term pregnancy, um, the doctors actually misread the chart, and they thought that my son was a burst ovarian cyst, and they recommended termination of the pregnancy. And I knew something wasn't right, and I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go through with it. And thank God I didn't, because, you know, I wouldn't have my, my son, and that would would be tragic. So these little moments that we're all presented with, and I just thought, you know, if I can help somebody else save their baby's life, or if somebody else who's gone through a miscarriage can feel like it's okay to talk about it, like they don't have to suffer in silence or go through this alone. It just, I knew I had to share these stories and that it would have such a big impact on other people's lives.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: And I forgot to mention, but really uh, important to share that a portion of the proceeds from every copy sold goes to Alliance for Period Supplies. They're a fantastic organization here in the U.S. They have about 125 chapters, and they are helping to get access to period products to women mostly of you know color and low income, but anyone who cannot afford to purchase their period products, they are getting them into schools, they're getting them into prisons, women's shelters because we don't realize it, but it's happening right in our backyard. I mean, there are girls who have to miss school because they do not have period products. There are women that have to decide between feeding my kids and buying a tampon. And I just, it's hard enough being a woman. I don't need to now worry about bleeding out everywhere while I'm at the grocery store, you know, or these poor girls who are putting socks in there instead of having the proper supplies. Um, So, Part of why I think I went through a midlife crisis was not having that bigger purpose. And I knew that I wanted the book to be able to serve a piece of that, besides just touching people through the stories um, and supporting them. Also, you know, really giving back and putting my money where my mouth is. So uh, we've raised now, I think, around maybe $2,500. I know it's over $2,000. So um, definitely go pick up a copy because you will be helping an amazing organization.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you for presenting today, Ms. Karen Freeland, who's the author of The Ins and Outs of My Vagina. Please go to her website, karenfreeland.com, and download her brochure, her book, her e-book regarding the six secrets of getting unstuck, which I downloaded and took took a gander at, and just the one statement that you made regarding those financial traps, the things we do to secure what we think is financial security, but not security for our own soul and our own wellness. And in, in essence, sometimes we all regret it or we will look back on it as if the shoulda, woulda, could us instead of moving forward and having a more constituted way of moving forward in your life and having the dreams and your manifestation and being what you want to be instead of burning out. And sometimes burning out can be a blessing because it'll teach you, this is not what my life is supposed to be. But, you know, I would hope that those could work to avoid um, burnout. Um, If you're interested in, you know, life coaching, you know, this Karen Freeland, just based on the discussion she had with us today, seems very motivational. If I had a vagina, I would definitely look up Karen Freeland for a life coach. Just what she told us today is just very much moved me in doing some of the things that I've had on the back burner that I probably wasn't ready to do just yet but now I find myself more motivated to do so. Thank you for that.
1: I love that. That is like my purpose for being. So I, when someone says that to me, I, I'm like bursting from the scenes. This is just,
0: Indeed.
1: it's amazing. So go do it. If anyone has a dream on their heart, it is your duty to follow it because it was placed there for a reason. And I firmly believe that. We are never given a dream that we cannot bring to manifestation. It just, it's doesn't happen.
0: Indeed, indeed. And that's Karen Freeland, the author of The Ins and Outs of My Vagina. And this concludes another episode of Mortem Therapy. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Mortem Therapy Podcast, wherever you push play to listen to your favorite podcasts. Be well and be great. I thrive. I thrive to be alive. I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to be healthier. I want to be around for my children to graduate, have children, and have their children have children. I want to be free from the disease of high blood pressure and diabetes. I thrive to be alive. I thrive to be this is more than therapy podcast. More